The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. Okay, here we go. So, good morning, Tom. It's a it's a snowy, very snowy day here in New Jersey and Connecticut. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. I was out there. Now, my good deed of the day to have some elderly neighbors in my condominium complex. So I go clean off their cars for them. Um, they never thank me, but that's another sub chill together. But uh, I don't know if they even know that I do it. They probably don't. So that's that, that's that's a good deed. Right? You don't do it so that you get credit for it. No, you do it to do it. We haven't we haven't shoveled yet. We're hoping that it stops because. We have a difficult driveway to navigate, but um, I'm hoping to get a special little guy who's here with us today. It's it's my son's ninth birthday, so he's going to, here, I'll, I'll put him on uh, for a second. Thomas, what's happening, brother? How are you? I'm just kind of here. You're just here? Okay. And you're not yeah. no school today, so you want to go yeah. sledding, correct? Okay. Yeah. And your father and your father said, we're definitely going. Is that what he said? No. Oh, he said maybe. Because apparently we we can't get out of the driveway. That's you know that's a lame excuse. Tell your father he's the most wonderful father in the world, and that we can't wait to go sledding together. How about that? Say that to him. I want to go sledding really bad. And let's go sledding on your birthday. So you missed the other part though. You got to tell him he's the most wonderful father in the world. At like one, all my friends are going sledding. Okay. Okay. Good. So your dad will have the driveway cleared out by then. Hopefully, he better. If he loves you, if he loves you, he will have the driveway cleared out and then get you the sledding. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I I want I want to I want to go sledding really bad. Yeah, and you're a fantastic son. You're good in school. You listen all the time, so you should you have the right to go sledding. So yes, exactly. I'm just like a hockey goalie. Okay, good. I'll see you tomorrow night too on the ice. Oh, that's right. So yeah, so Tom, you know my son's organization, the Rangers, do some wonderful work, as we've said several times here, and. Part of the, if you're one of the partner organizations, every year they have a clinic slash practice with one of the Ranger alumni. Last year, his team had Brian Mullen, but this year, and it's tomorrow, the special guest is none other than Tom Laidlaw. Right. Over at the famous Sportorama. Sportorama. So this should be, well, you know, maybe we'll bring out the mic and talk there and uh, talk to some of the kids because that should be an interesting event. People, I think people are fired up, fired up about it. Yeah, Sportorama, beautiful. Where's that? Muncie, New, New York? Is that Muncie? Lovely Muncie, New York, tucked away in a nice uh, Hasidic community. Um. Yeah. Right in in Rockland County, New York. That building's been there a long time too. That's that, that fifty years, I think. That. I think forty nine or fifty years. Yeah, it's been there for a really long time. And you'll be back on that ice for the first time in a while. Yep. Yeah, I haven't been on the ice very much at all. Yeah. Now you know what we'll do. We'll, we'll maybe we should Facetime Dave Silk from Sportorama. We should maybe he'll bring up the uh, <laughs> the Sportorama incident that we're everyone's longing to hear about. We'll go play. We'll go play racquetball. 
that well that's gone now it's uh it's a acidic gym oh um yeah yeah it's an acidic gym called vibes so I, maybe you curse the place i don't know we got to figure out what uh what hurts in there there's some vibes going on that night <laughs> well they're all, oh, oh he's giving some clues that's like 40 years ago too oh my goodness wow and well i, I guarantee this the building still looks exactly the same as it did 40 years ago yes yeah, yeah. no, no change does yeah. yeah the inside does too they just keep throwing paint on it. Anyway, it's a lovely morning, like we said. Sorry, my son was here for it's his birthday, and he's home from school, so it was like a double whammy for him because they had a snow day. So he's he wants to go sledding. I will take it. Thank you for the Klaus Fal- family is a great family. The kids always imitate me. They they've listened to the show before so many times. And, oh, it's a wonderful show. Oh, they do. <laughs> They're good too. Well, and my my middle child Molly. So Julie actually helped us edit this in the beginning. But my middle child Molly is a is an actress, and she's she actually is a is a lead in a podcast, a children's podcast. Oh. Oh. And she's she's very good at doing voices, and she does Tom Layla all the time. She's like, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic show. Oh, she's hilarious too. The way she does it, when she does it, I'm just dying laughing. It's good. Yeah, you know, I know you don't really listen to how you you sound, right? So then when somebody else imitates you, it's like, yeah. yes, yeah, so you have you come, you could be very Canadian at times, not not yeah. often, but at times very I Canadian. I think when we're talking to Katie, it's like more of what comes out, right? Isn't that how that works? Oh, it does he? But yeah, you know. and again, the one that people point out, I think Rob Carr pointed this one out. You say, uh, of course, when you discover something, and I love it. I've said this several times. You say, "Oh, I didn't know that." <laughs> oh, that's your go. That's your go-to. It's great. This makes except a genuine excitement of learning something new. Absolutely, and that's what it's all about, man. It's all about yep. learning and discovery. We had some great. We had Riley Cote on. He was all about that, like oh, learning and learning new things. That was a powerful. That he was really sure. forward. That was cool. Yeah, we got some good guests. Lee Don Waddell, your buddy, was on. And now yeah. today we have, uh, we're have we going to have a great one. We're going to have a legend, Los Angeles Kings legend, 56 goal scorer, sure, great mustache back in the yeah. 80s. Yeah. Charlie Simmer's coming on the show today. He should be a good one. Man, he was a legend back then, too. You know, He was married to a Playboy model, you know, down the Triple Crown Nine, playing the All Star games yeah. and everything. I mean, I'm going to tell the story yeah, during, during the show, but he's such a nice guy in the ice, too. Like, he'd suck you in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he'd go score. I wonder if he's going to talk about his Playboy uh, his ex-wife, who was a Playboy model. Maybe, maybe he'll get into that. I don't know. He might not want to. We'll see. Well, I'm going to try my best. Yeah, talk about that. Of, co- uh, of course, you are. <laughs> I mean, that was funny though. You know, playing against him because you're thinking, and he's he's married to a Playboy model. And that was just fantastic, you know. Uh, that's pretty cool. Like, yeah. But he's one of those players. wasn't particularly fast. I don't think yeah. he had a big booming shot. No, he's a big guy. But he just hey, yeah, he scored goals. And, you know, he'll admit it, too. He played on the line, the Triple Crown line. But, you know, he also contributed to that line. You know, Dave Taylor, Russ Sardin, and him. It's, oh, yeah. It's just, just him feeding off those guys, although they're fantastic players. Man, I hope yeah, you that... talk about Dave Taylor, too. What a mean guy. What a great guy. Oh, God, it's so mean. But he, I, I played with him. We sat right beside each other in the locker room. One of the nicest guys in the world. Like, real Was he really? Yeah. Well, didn't he sucker Gretzky, too, at one point? Did oh, yeah. When Gretzky, he did. He yeah. dropped him, right? Yeah. He wasn't afraid of anybody. I, I, I remember, I, again, we'll, we'll hopefully talk about the show, but we didn't play against LA all the time, right? Because they're in the West Coast and we're in the East yep. Coast. So there's usually not that big a rivalry with guys. You know, playing against the Islanders all the time, the Flyers is always rivalries, you know, team wise and individually. So, like, you play against Dave and you didn't really have to do anything to him. And all of a sudden, he's, you know, cross checking the head or something. I'm like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> I hate you already. I've been done in the hate But you described Dave Taylor. That's basically the starting Tom Laidlaw's game cross checking you when you're not looking. Yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah. Flashy. It, it is funny when you hear guys now that you've played against and, and stuff like John Tonelli and I are great friends now. We coached together, played yeah. together in LA. But we played against each other, and uh, he was the other side of the bridge. And we did some stuff to each other. We just like, oh, yeah. Oh, oh. And well, we had Brian Propp on, uh, you know, early in the, in the run. And he said, he's like, if I saw Layla out there, I knew I was getting lumber across the arms. You know, you told me at one point, you said, I went out there to try to break his arm. Yeah. Yeah. We played a preseason game, and 
and uh, he's going down the boards mass square garden and uh slashing across your arms broke my stick and uh, yes. yeah yeah so next time he's coming down the boards i go to do it again he stopped he just wouldn't go down the boards anymore that's really what i wanted right so he but i mean make that he's still scoring 50 goals a year or two you know? that's the thing with those guys that nhl level yeah i mean maybe you can intimidate them a little bit once in a while they're still good to score yeah, people, you know, the argument always comes up about different errors, you know, and and I, everyone says Gretzky, you know, he couldn't, he, they're, they're so much faster now, but just watch the old videos. He, and people say Wayne didn't get touched. That's bullshit. Wayne was getting hooked, yeah. hell, oh. two on one, all the In time. The, yeah, it would be interesting now if we were allowed to play the way now, now the way we played back then with the hooking and holding. Because it's just like even playing a one on one, you know, the stick was right in the middle of the legs. We did, you know, the can opener, we used to call it, yeah. spin the guy around. So I don't know how anybody beat us back then. We watch now, you can't do that kind of stuff. So yeah, if we've talked this before to to compare the years, the refereeing was, I mean, the rules were still the same, but they were called differently. The equipment was different. The training methods were different. Yep. I'd like to think like the great players from any era could play in here. They'd have to change their game, but they just it'd still be great players. Connor McDavid would be great in the eighties, but he would get hooked, held, slashed, yeah. cross-checked all, all the time. Now, who knows how he would deal with that? You know, you just don't know. Gretzky yeah. would be great now with that freedom. So you just, you know, he's not wouldn't be as fast as Connor McDavid, but yeah. he would get it done. Yeah, he'd still get it done. Yeah, like even the players now that aren't that fast can still be great players. Did you see the video recently of the Toronto player slap shot in the net? Yes. and then he get cross checked back. See, like that's... Well, the Ottawa player came in and he ripped. He had an empty net. If people haven't seen this, he's got a breakaway on an empty net and he takes a slap shot from three feet out. Was it the Ottawa yeah. player? That did it? Yeah, and then Morgan Riley, Morgan Riley jumped him. Yeah, he oh, came yes. up him in the head. Yeah. I, I think it's all good except for the cross check to the head. He should have just dropped the gloves right there and went with him. Yeah, he, he, he got him up high. Yeah, and that's the difference. And then the guy that got cross check, he's laying on the ice. So the rest of his teammates are in there sticking out for him when he made the stupid play from taking the slap shot. Go ahead, you want to take a slap shot in that, but turn around, get ready. This guy's going to come. Let's. Yeah. yeah. And, anyone who's played hockey at any level knows if you do something like if you pull up. Now, now it's changing, but like in the past, if you pull off a of Michigan, you were going to they were going to come after you. Yeah. If you did something like that with it, you showed somebody up. You got, you know, you go to the front of the net, you're going to get yeah. slashed. Now it's yeah. changed a bit, but still, you, he should have absolutely, like you said, he should have been like, okay, here's a slap shot, come get it. Yeah. And then he stayed on the ice for the rest of the Yeah. He's yeah, that's kind of lame. And, and, and here's the problem. Now you go into the locker room and you're one of the tough guys that's sticking up for your teammate and he's laying on the ice. You're looking at him like, I mean, that just ruins the locker room. That kind of stuff happens. Yeah, Did you remember, I love... remember waiting years ago with Sean Avery was with the Rangers and the Russian player, I can't remember who he was, scored a goal against Tampa. I remember Vinny LeCavier came after him, and then he pretended he was like, shooting the shotgun. Oh, Anisimov. He's back with the Rangers, actually. He's in Hartford right now on a PTO. Oh, oh yeah. that was hilarious. Because he had no clue what was going on. He was a Russian player. That did, why is everybody coming at me? You can see the look at his face like, what's going on here? Yeah. Like, Avery got kicked out of the game, so he's in the locker room. I think they had the camera there. Went, so it's just Avery and Anisimov when he came in. And he's looking at Avery like, what did I do? And like, Avery's dying laughing now because he understands the whole situation. He's done that stuff himself. And he's understanding the kid. He couldn't even explain it to the kid. He didn't know what was going on. Yeah, I think that was the year that HBO was following the Rangers for the Emperor. Yes, yeah. Yeah. So it was great. So you had all that that behind the scenes stuff, which we love as fans, we love to see yeah. that because you don't get any inkling into that. You know, everything is so polished and produced. Yeah. But that was kind of more raw. And it was it was uh Ridley Gregg who took the shot with five seconds left. He blasted a slap shot and Morgan Riley. I mean, you don't it's an empty netter. You know hockey one oh one is you just slide the puck in the net, game over. Yeah. Yeah. Like what full wind up. Yeah, like you're watching, like, and then the, to not be prepared after the fact, just showed he grew up in a whole different. You're talking about a different era. He obviously this kid's just unaware totally of what he's doing on the ice. No, I think he was fully aware. I think he was at the home crowd, fire everyone up, and then yeah, as Riley hits him, he just goes down, and he just lays on the ice, covered his head. Yeah, you know, 
Like that'd be embarrassing. Like you, if back in our, I know it's different now. Yeah. But I still think it's the same thing. You go down in the locker room, like he, he should be apologizing to his teammates. Yeah. Sorry. I dragged you guys into that. No, hey, you know, here's another one too. Okay. So we're doing the show after uh, the Super Bowl. Yes. And you see Kelsey go after his coach, Andy Reid. I did. Sideline. What is First reaction was like, what's wrong with this guy? Yeah. Then they both, saw, if you saw them both afterwards, Reid and, uh, Kelsey was talking about his coach and he essentially had tears in his eyes. And he's like, he goes, he taught me how to channel myself. He's like, he's a great man. He's, he's, you know, the best coach in the history of football. Yeah. At the time it was, it was, I thought it was kind of lame, but Reed laughed it off. Like, no, he's intense. And I know what he was trying to do. I just don't see what's Reed going to do. He's obviously going to make it seem like it's not a big deal. He's a 65 year old man. What's Travis Kelsey? 30 years old. He's a football yeah, the, don't, don't get in his face. Just, just it's a bad look. Just don't get in his face. You can, you can say, Coach, put me in. I, you know, I, I can score, and I get absolutely. Want to win. I have no problem with the guy being irate. I want to be in the lineup and making sure the coach knows it. That's fine, but don't physically go after a coach. Don't, don't man. bump, don't bump him. Yeah. But afterwards, they both had great things to say about each other. And and Kelly said it reads how he said he's an emotional guy. He said reads helped him in the, the you know in the ten years he's been on the Chiefs. He said and he said he loves him. So you know, I, I think it's just. Yeah, just don't do that. But I mean, I think we, we make mistakes. I, I'm not a, I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge fan either way. But I think I, I that happens. Emotion of the game, you know. I wonder if he was bumping into Taylor Swift dance floor. That's true. And I'll tell you what though, I, did you watch Super Bowl? Because I thought it was yeah. really boring. I thought it was yeah. a boring game, even though it was an overtime. I thought it was boring. I thought yeah. it was. I thought I don't want to say it was fixed, but I thought all along, okay, Chiefs will win this in overtime as it got yeah. close. Like this is gonna, Chiefs are gonna win this. It's it's almost yeah. like I thought they'd win the kind of last play, but overtime, the same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, any of yeah. the commercials are kind of lame. Lame, really lame. Yeah. It's just celebrities now, just selling stuff. Like, yeah. wh- where's the creativity? Like the whole one with Tom Brady and uh, Matt Damon and Doug and Doug. Yeah, yeah just, they're all just trying to be viral, and it's just uh, I don't know, man. I just I wish hockey had an equivalent to that. I mean, I don't. They don't. Cool. Yeah, the, I mean, it's a huge yeah. event. The, um, yeah. the game itself, though, was. Well, I didn't think it was a great game at all. Yeah. Especially those two quarterbacks. I like Purdy a lot. I think he's a good quarterback. Does just score? 19 points. Although the defense is supposed to be pretty good too. I'm not big at that, but yeah, it, uh, I've had I've had enough of Taylor Swift. That's enough. I for her. I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to blame her, but you know, it's not her fault. She's going to the game with all that lipstick on. Yeah, it, it, it's just I, I don't get it. People get upset by it. It's like, well, why do you care? It's just a fan yeah, of the I, yeah, It's not. It doesn't have any impact on anything. Do you think she puts lipstick on like every like every five minutes or something like that to get their lips like that? Uh, I never think about it that deeply, Tom. Well, but you have to come on. Whenever you think of Taylor Swift, you're like, all you see is her lips, like, like kissing a paint can. Well, my one daughter's a big fan, and she's got you would like her. She's got her her country songs are excellent. You'd probably like them. Yeah, her first couple albums were country, and they were good, like really good. Yeah. Now she's a pop singer, but you're not a big fan. She's not Johnny Cash, so it's not your uh, yeah not, your, yeah. She's not, all, not Wayne Newton, not George Strait. Wayne, Wayne Newton. Newton. Oh yeah, Wayne you're good. you're a Wayne Newton fan. Oh yeah. Totally, yes. I did not see that coming. Yeah. Really, Mister Las Vegas, Mister Las Vegas. Wow, with that voice, you like Wayne Newton? I do for some reason. Yeah. Wow. So the guy too. The who's the blind singer? Uh, I don't know if he's alive now. Roy Orbison. Roy Orbison. Yes, like him too. He actually really? sang opening night when Wayne Gretzky uh, uh, came to the LA Kings. He sang. I was standing beside uh, Paul Fenton, who's uh, Tyler Scope now, uh, general, general manager, and he turns to me and goes, "Who's that?" It's Roy Orbison, you idiot. He didn't know who Roy Orbison was. I don't want to say that you've told that story on the show a few times. But I don't want to... There's some guy in, in the Ukraine that hasn't watched our show, and he's going, wow, that's a great story. 
Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. To our our listener and our friends in Romania and Finland who've become listeners lately, th- there's a story for you about Paul Fenton, Roy Orbison, and Tom Laidlaw. Man, we have fun in Finland. We were in Finland for training camp my second year in the league. Vera Mackey, the place is Vera Mackey, is a training site. Oh, man. Yes, we've, we've talked about it because you had, we had Alf Nielsen on. You talked about how you were there with Bobby Hull. Bobby Hull was there. Yeah. It was, went to Sweden was, too. Yep. We played in Stockholm, Sweden, but Alf and Anders there. I can tell you a good story about it. And we had a party after Bobby Hull was there. I would do whatever Bobby Hull told me to do. Like, he was that right. kind of legendary guy. <laughs> so, I think you might have told this one already, but he was like oh. full on Bobby Hull at that time, right? He was. Yeah. He retired and he's oh. coming back. No, I didn't tell the story. Well, so we were at a party, a bunch of girls were there. Bobby Hull told me to go take my clothes off and go sit in this girl's lap. Okay. Now, wait, hold on. And did you do it? Yeah. See, you, you think I tell all this stuff. Oh, you told all these stories. I didn't, hadn't told that story before. But now, now Bobby Hull, who also, you said several times, you famously met when you were a kid. Your dad somehow yeah. wrangled you into Maple Leaf Gardens. You spoke with him. He spent some time with you. Now you're like, I don't know, 15 years later. You, you, he's like, hey, kid, who I met at Maple Leaf Gardens with his farmer dad. Go, go take your clothes off and sit on that stripper's lap. And you're like, okay, but she wasn't even a stripper. It's a regular woman. It's a civilian. Regular woman sitting. Yeah, we we're up in our hotel room having a big party. And he, I'm not afraid, he told me, obviously, we'd had a few libations at that point. But he says, I'll never forget, uh, Bobby Hull stands to me, fine, go take your clothes off. Go sit in that girl's lap. I had a question asked. Just go, Bobby Hull told me to do it. So, and now I have to put the E on this episode. We had my, we started with my son on the show. Now being in a friendly family moment. Now we have to put the E on it because Laidlaw is naked with his junk out sitting on some civilian's lap at a hotel room in Finland. <laughs> I love the way you described that. That was actually. Thank, thanks, Bobby oh. Hull. Oh. Hey, rest in peace, Mr. Hull. But yeah, God, uh, it sounds like that was a fun. But he, he wasn't good enough. They tried to get him to play with Nielsen and Hedberg, right? Yeah. Magic. Yeah, I just, he he'd been retired. It wasn't there. About that, what an experience I was to have training camp with him, with Bobby Hall there, the stories and everything. Just, uh, yeah. Now, he famously wore a wig. Did he have, did, did you see him like take it on and off? Did you see, what, how did he prepare the thing? He, well, that's a great question. I can't remember. Did he wear a wig too? Oh, that's right. He did. Absolutely. Not as bad as Chico Meshes, though, right? Glenn Chico Resch and Billy Smith, the Islanders goaltending tandem, who both wore hair pieces throughout their careers. But Chico's awful. I mean, that's, well, he still wears it. Doesn't he have friends that say to him, let you go? You don't know. You don't talk about it, Tom. Like, imagine you had like, imagine you had like a big boil on your cheek. Everybody'd be like, oh, he's just got that boil. Just deal with it, you know? No. Somebody'd say something. Before I got my teeth fixed, my my front tooth was brown. Right right in the bed, Ron Dugay was there. And uh, he was very nice. He was a real gentleman about it. He says, Tom, you know, you can get your your teeth fixed, you know? Of all the people to point that out, I'm not shocked even a a smidge that it was Dugay who pointed that out for you. But he was very nice about it. Yeah, and I, I, at first, because I, I got hit in the tooth like when I was a kid, like seven or eight years old, and it's just over yeah. the years, got more down. So I never really noticed it because it just happened over su- such a period of time. And then I went home and looked in the mirror, and then this, I told like this dentist family that, that was coaching the yeah. son. Yeah, yeah. The mother came in. Yeah. You should have gone to Clint Malarchuk, though, because he's the horse dentist, and that would have probably been more, you know, more apropos for what you needed at that time. So <laughs> that's a good point by you. How do, you, how do you decide to be a horse? Do we ask him how he decided to be a horse dentist? We did. He just got into equine therapy and became a horse dentist. And he, he really liked your, your teeth. He said, they did good work. So, yeah, there it is. But I, I want to tell a quick story about Dugate because I happened to be at an event with Dugate at the Palisade Center. And he's great because he was taking pictures with you know, the moms and the ladies. Right. And after the pictures, he'd say, let me see your phone. He'd swipe through and say, okay, use that one. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's great. Like, he's so wow. was brand. Yeah, I used to make fun of him, but I realized that's him. That's his brand. Like, it's how he looks. It's his brand, so he's very worth it. It's funny. James Patrick was telling a story. He was uh, 
in Winnipeg and Deuce was in for a, uh, some alumni game or whatever. And I think we was at the airport of the rink and James went up. To, they played together for several years. Then James went up to Deuce, like, you know, talking to him like your old buddies, old teammates, everything. Deuce had no idea who he was. He didn't, <laughs> rec- didn't recognize him a bit. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was just hilarious. Yeah. Cool, there you go. That's, yeah. uh, that's, that's right. You're good. You know, and I, again, like I used to make fun of him all the time, but to his credit, that's who he is. He is the way he looks, his, like his hair, yeah. his skin. So that's, you know, he's very aware. Yeah, no, but he's, I think he, he did a, he wanted a selfie with him one time and he wouldn't do the selfie. And I said, dude, sweet, sweet, be a jerk. Just take a picture with the kid. He said, Tom, I can't control those pictures. Well, and then, yeah, he didn't want any bad pictures of himself. So. Well, that's what I said. He was he was telling the people, okay, no, he goes, delete that one, delete that one, use that one. So it's like I would photo editing uh, final say on, on all these pictures that fans are taking. So that's great, man. That's a different level of, of just, yep. you know, cool. So that's yep. he's, he is self-aware. Yeah. Oh, God. He's and and speaking of, it's still what? I just smell the coconuts on the bench there. He used to have that, that coconut uh, smelling, uh, it was some stuff in his hair, organized or whatever it is. Wow. Mm-hmm. Incredible. And, and, spe- and speaking of someone uh, who, who is self-aware, but also in different ways, we're going to have Charlie Simron. He's going to be a great guest. People, I, I think we're going to love this show. Can't wait to hear what Charlie has to say. Yeah, what a funny man, too. Great, good career. Yeah, he, oh, God, I remember playing against him. So I remember, like, young, too. You know, he's married. This guy in L.A. He's scoring 50 goals. He's got the Playboy model wife a little bit. Yeah, well, let's, yeah let's get to it, man. Let's get after it. Is this the biggest head you've had on your show yet? No. Look at Laidlaw. Hit, what do you mean? Bring my melon. You've got hair oh, still in you're, you're sitting 15 feet away from your... <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting right on it. We've had some big heads. Like Richie Pelon's got a big melon, too. Man, how's that? This is new technology for me. I don't do this stuff. There you go. There you go. There you go. Good. I actually had a corporate one. They kicked me off because I couldn't get on. <laughs> and all my kids have left the house. So I, who's going to fix it? Hold your kids. I have a 40-year-old daughter. Oh, my God. And I'm sleeping with a 60-year-old. When would that ever happen in the past? <laughs> <laughs> right? Well, you, you are old sleeping with a 60-year-old. I thought you'd be in the 20s or something. You know, I got a 40-year-old with the first one, and then uh, uh, with my present and last one, I have a 20, soon to be 28 and 26, boy-girl. So you have remarried? You, you were married? Yes. So twice, okay. But still haven't got divorced. Coming up on 100 years. <clears throat> Total. No, no, it's actually coming up on 29. Oh, that's pretty geez. good. That's amazing for a hockey player to get married. And then we got uh, an eight-year-old granddaughter. Oh, nice, huh? Tom, that's yeah. like twice as much as yours combined. Yeah, I know. I've got two two divorces, and my total is like 15 years, I guess. Yeah. I'm on my last one for sure. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Tom, we got a great show today. We got one of the members of the legendary Triple Crown line, uh, three hundred and how many goals? Three hundred forty-seven goals in the NHL, something like that. I'm not quite sure. I remember every one though. If you ask me, which <laughs> one, what, pick a number, and I'll tell you how I scored it. All right, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna quiz you. Then I'm gonna quiz you. Here we go. So my rookie year in the league, 1981, we come into LA, triple crown line. I'm in front of that with Charlie Simmer. I think I'm this big tough guy. I'm gonna scare the crap out of you. Don't push him away. And he starts talking to me. He says, hey, Tommy, how you doing? Nice to meet you. You know, I'm thinking I got my best friend here now, Charlie Simmer. And then he steps out to the high slot. Like Dave Taylor shot past the puck and shoots it at one time and sends her laughing at me. Like, Minus one, Layla. Oh, God. I'll never forget well, that, too. I got sucked in. Oh. Well, let me, I didn't announce our guest. So, our guest today is, as you mentioned, Charlie Simmer. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't recognize Tom for the first three years because the only thing I ever saw of him was this cross check across my back and my numbers. <laughs> and they just seen him skate away. I just saw his number. That was it. <laughs> you stand there laughing at me where you score goals too. Charlie Simmer, how you doing, brother? We really don't know each other that much, although we played against each other. So great to see you. Well, we, we yeah, I think we know each other. You're my best yeah. buddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you're scoring goals, yeah. You're on the ice for a lot of Charlie's goals, Tom. Is that what you're saying? Oh, he's definitely one of those guys that he, like he like who else is like that? Uh, uh, the Joey Mullen was like this. I guess like oh, he's lucky. He's not really that good, but then he keeps scoring goals all the time. I think, well, yeah, he is. Rick Middleton, another one. Rick Middleton, yes, that's the one, yeah. Well, Nifty scored more goals by not touching the puck than he did yeah. touching. It was, <laughs> a, it was a nice three years I was in Boston. He'd go on a one-on-two and skate between both defensemen and never touch the puck. It yeah. just kind of followed him around. He'd fall, He's falling down, and he tips it up over the shoulder. And he's like, well, nice goal, Nifty. It's just kept routine for you. Isn't that true? I mean, they can, oh, it's scary. Kept, yeah, he kept doing it all the time. They think, okay, I guess he's unlucky. It just keeps going for him. So, yeah. Where are you now? Are you living in Houston? Well, I'm in uh, Lakeway, which is about 30 minutes west of Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Very good. Good. Yeah. And you're still in the oil business, correct? Doing a little bit of work. I got sucked back into it. I was kind of furloughed and I thought retired in the middle, uh, beginning of COVID. And uh, my past company kind of <clears throat> let me go after I trained a couple of young guys. And all of a sudden, oh, I'm unemployed. And while I was kind of close to retirement and, uh, so I was saying, okay, it's not bad, but it ended up uh, during COVID, you couldn't volunteer, you couldn't help out, you couldn't really do anything uh, except get in my wife's way. I played a lot of golf. I wasn't very good at it still. Um, and then I'm trying to help her in the kitchen. You know, I, let me cook tonight. You know, And then uh, good friends of mine from a company that I helped uh, down in Texas from Canada called and said, hey, do you want to come back to work part-time? So I said, yeah, that'd be great. And uh, I end up now I'm full-time and thinking, 
how did I get sucked back into it? But it's a lot of fun. It's the closest industry that I've been with that is, is to a sports team, to a hockey team. Uh, the way they pull for each other, I mean, uh, you know, care for each other. And uh, it, it's kind of interesting. They know who you are, what's your talent. I mean, it, it's kind of fun to be around these guys. That's cool. That's cool. Where are you from originally? Where's home? To home is Terrace Bay, Ontario. It's uh, about two hours up the lake from Thunder Bay. So oh. 300 miles from Sault Ste. Marie and 140 from Thunder Bay. So Ooh, wow. right on there. the lake. And it's uh, it's beautiful in the summer. Man, I yeah. guess it's beautiful in the winter too, but it's it's a little bit chillier and where'd you play junior hockey? I played uh, two years uh, um, in Kenora on Tier 2. Um, and then uh, I uh, mysteriously got drafted in the 29th round to the Sioux Greyhounds um, <laughs> as a 19-year-old back in 1973-74. And the funny story about that is Angie, uh, Angelo Bimbaco. Yeah. He's, he's been around Sioux. I'm, unfortunately, he passed away. But he's been around the Sioux hockey for decades or almost centuries i guess and uh so we'd always joke about it and i, I made the team and uh and i did quite well as a 19 year old and um uh, so years passed of course playing the nhl and going back and talk to him all the time and and he's like oh i knew you got you would make it all the time i says you're you know you're you're unbelievable this and that and i says yeah that's why you drafted me in the 29th round <laughs> and of course his story was well you're way up in kenora nobody even saw you there so we knew we had lots of time but, oh, that's uh, funny. Quite a character. I mean, yeah. uh, of course, on the team, the junior team back then. But there's just uh, no shortage of uh, stories and uh, and characters for sure. Right. So you did well in junior, and then you get drafted by. Were you drafted by the Kings? I got drafted by the California Seals. Oh, okay. Wow. And I I uh, I, I laugh, and uh, they say, well, "What number did you get?" All the people ask me now. I said, "Well, I got drafted 39th. And they're like, well, that's just outside the first round. I says, no, there was only 11 teams. <laughs> Is that what it was, just 11 teams back then when you were drafted? Uh, there were, uh, how many teams were there? So there were 12. 12, teams, 12 so I was the third pick in the third round. And that, that year was kind of funny because that was the first time in a while that they allowed 18-year-olds um, to be drafted. <clears throat> so technically I lost a whole round because of uh, – they had to draft them in the first two rounds. Uh, okay. So there were some, uh, there were some uh, good 18-year-olds that came out of that, and some like, just weren't ready, obviously. I mean, that's the characters. You look at the guys that are 18 that can make it and have made it, uh, Bork and Mario and Potvin and uh, and guys like that. And then for that, for every one of those, there's eight. They're yeah. knocking it. Totally, yeah. They're, those guys are freaky. So I mean that in a very good way. Like to be 18 years old and be mature enough to play in the NHL, know, physically and mentally, I agree. So, of course, those guys are driving the team bus at 16, so. Yeah. I see Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid and those guys come in, too, and just, like, they're so polished, and they, they get in front of the camera, and they're like, geez, I, like, I wasn't like that until I was. Well, yeah, it took you 45 years to get polished in front of the camera. <laughs> yeah. You think I'm polished now? Marble month, mouth going at yeah. all times. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I'm nonstop. Yeah, nonstop talk. Oh, I want to ask, to ask uh, Charlie this time. We had Dennis Marukan, who was on your team with the Seals, and then Pee Peewee, yes, and he told us how in the playoffs, if the, the owner said to you, or the GM said, if you guys don't win, the franchise is moving. So how was that experience when you guys went from California to Cleveland? It had to be bizarre, right, for a hockey player? Well, first of all, you look at it, Southern California, Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, <laughs> But uh, it, it was disappointing because it, it, it had finally, after, well, 67, and so that would be uh, 74, 75, 76 season. 
Um, and we'd finally had some solid people in the front office. I mean, I'd only been there two years. So I, I, but I hear sto- horror stories from the years before the white skates, guys missing curfew, guys drunk on the bench. Um, but they finally had some good leadership in the office. And then they had, uh, Jack Tex Evans was our coach, tougher nails. And I love coach like that back then, you know, Tommy McVie, guys like that. I, I, uh, you play for those guys. I mean, that's the way I was brought up. And, and the fans were coming back. Uh, I mean, we usually sold out with all the big teams coming to town. But, you know, just slowly through that year, we won a lot more games than we did the year before. And then uh, uh, all of a sudden it was like, you know, well, well we're ready for next year. And, and George uh, Gunn and his brother owned the team by then. <clears throat> and, of course, he just built the uh, Richfield Coliseum outside of um, uh, Cleveland, which is in the middle of nowhere. It was in the middle of a field. And all of a sudden, bang, we're going to Cleveland. And it was like, well, it's a hockey town where, you know, we're get, we get going. Uh, I remember going for our first chamber of commerce thing at, in training camp, go downtown uh, to this big function and all that to promote the team. And it was the windiest day I think I've ever seen in Cleveland. And you go by the old refineries and all that, and they had the big piles of coal. And it was just like a black fog blowing across the, <laughs> the freeway. And you could hear all the veterans going, we left California for this, you know, huh. and, um, and unfortunately, it just didn't work. The, the building was too far away. It was a beautiful building, you know, it, uh, ahead of its time. But it was in the middle of a, uh, a field. And you couldn't get off the interstate. You had to go through these little towns like Hudson, Ohio, and uh, North Akron. And it was just, uh, it was disastrous from the start. We'd, uh, our opening game was against, uh, home game was against the Montreal Canadiens. Mm-hmm. I think they had just won three out of the four in a row. So you're thinking, this is going to be great. And we had like 7,500 people show up. It was good. <laughs> From that point on, it just went downhill, unfortunately. And I think it was only two years. I only lasted part of a year there. Uh, and I was sent back down to Salt Lake and then eventually bought out. But um, uh, it was uh, it was too bad because it really was picking up a lot of momentum. You know, of course, the Guns lost their team. Uh, and then they joined up with Minnesota for all those years. And then I'm getting another team, of course, which is the San Jose Sharks, which was about 30 miles from where they started. Right. <laughs> And of course, a very successful franchise in, in yeah. San Jose. We knew there were hockey fans there. It was just a matter of getting the product on the ice. I, I got to go back to one story. Now, guys were getting drunk on the bench in California. Well, not really, but I mean, uh, there, there there was a lot of guys not uh, not into it. I mean, uh, it, it was. It, I mean, they were so talented. I remember Joey Johnson. He was one of the most talented players I've ever seen, and uh, I mean, he got on a breakaway once and just picked the puck up at the blue line and just start bouncing it all the way in like a lacrosse player. And the score and just sat down and then, then you, you know, and then, you know, a couple more games, he wouldn't score any more goals. And it was just, it was just the, the once Jack Tex Evans, there, he was getting control of everybody. Of course, he was tougher nails. You wouldn't want to mess with him. Um, and uh, everybody seemed to be pulling together on that uh, second year with Jack there. And then um, after that, I mean, there was just no accountability at that time, unfortunately. And, um, and once they did have it, they moved it. Yeah. All right. So now you got bought out by Cleveland. And then how'd you yes. get Dell Aitman? How'd you get Dell? Well, I, um, it was, uh, of course, you know, I'm going, thinking that was my third year and I'd spent most three years up and down in the minors and very successful scoring in the minors, but seemed every time we got called up, I was a checking center. So I, you know, probably couldn't check my hat, but, um, <laughs> that's what, uh, they had me at. Uh, so obviously there weren't a lot of pickings for a guy that just got released by the Cleveland Barons. So I uh, had two offers, one from Los Angeles and one from Buffalo. And I was going L.A., Buffalo, L.A., yeah, Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. And not for what you think, Tom, 
I mean, at that time, at that time, I was thinking, well, I got to find a team I can make the the, the roster. And uh, Buffalo had just finished, I think, the playoffs with uh, the Flyers. They lost, I think, they lost in the, um, or they had that group with. Uh, they just lost the Flyers in the finals. I mean, they had a, such a great team, and I thought I had a better chance of uh, making Los Angeles and exactly the same money, which was huge, huge. I mean, I was almost ready to retire with that money. Uh, <laughs> two way contract. Uh, Oh. But, you know, I just wanted to play. I, I, I still had it in my head. I think I thought I could make it. So uh, so I ended up going to L.A. And now, so now you end up on one of the most famous lines in the history of the National Hockey League, the Triple Crown line with Marcel Dion and Dave Kaler. How'd that happen? Well, it took a little while. I uh, First year in, in camp in, in L.A., um, uh, had a really good camp, uh, but unfortunately I was the only left winger on a two-way contract. And uh, they brought in... Uh, players uh i think schultz came in that year they had some veteran uh left wingers that um that um you know didn't i mean they were doing okay but uh, they had a one-way contract so i ended up getting sent down uh uh to the minors to, to springfield i'm going can you send me to salt lake city it's a lot like springfield but um you know i um uh, we started down there, um, and then uh, Bob Berry was was uh, end of his career. He was actually playing that year down there, and we had Ted Harris was the uh, head coach, um, and uh, so he got fired halfway through the year. They promoted Bob Bob Berry, and I think I was um, either first or second left wing all star in the American League that year. I got called up to L.A. Uh, I think three times for a total of four games and four shifts. And each, <laughs> and each time it was like, well, you didn't really show us anything. And, uh, so I'm going, you know, uh, and then I got, you know, sent down and there, and then finally at there saying, well, I think it was Ron, I think it was Ron Stewart was coaching. And he was like, you know, I think you should maybe start thinking about another career. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, you know, no, I still, I got another year of my contract. So I go to camp the next year, Bob Barry's coaching in LA now. So what year is this now? Is this 80, 1980 or no? So this would be 78, 79. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, so that I'm, I'm, I'm my fifth year pro and, uh, uh, go to camp, have a great camp. Bob Berry's coaching and he comes in and he says, I got to send you down. Unfortunately, it's just, again, it was about money. Um, and, uh, and he says, go down and play hard. So, I mean, that was my fifth year and I was kind of like, you know, I'm not, I'm back to Terrace Bay in the Pulton paper mill. I mean, that was the, my decision turning pro was either one or the other, make it or not. Um, um, there was no really third alternative at that time. And, uh, so I, uh, went down and I was having a pretty good year, not, not as good as the year before. And then, uh, got, I think it was, uh, January of 78, 79, um, January 13th, I got called up. We go to Detroit, going to play, um, uh, in Detroit, the old Olympia, uh, great game. Phenomenal building. It was just so much fun. I mean, excitement in there. You had to walk through the crowd from the your, your dressing oh. room to get to the. You were on the other side of the concourse and actually had to walk through. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, back then, and then uh, and then the bus would come right to the door of the arena and open the door of the arena, and the bus would open. You go in because people. I mean, it was not in a great area. Oh. Um, so I, I get there and uh, Bob Barry said, yeah, you know, okay, we're going to, I said, just show me where you want me to sit on the bench and I'll, and I'll stay out of the way. And I said, no, you're, I'm going to play a little bit tonight. And that's when he put me on the line with Marcel and Davey. Oh. And uh, of course, uh, fortunately for me, Marcel was a first round pick, uh, for, uh, first pick a few years ago for Detroit. They had a little bit of fallout. So every time he went back to Detroit, he lit it up. 
So we, we go in there and we beat them six something or whatever it was. We score all, all six goals. I get zero. I got a couple of assists. Well, someone at the back check with those two. Sure. Guys. That's you. That's Charlie Simmer right there. And, uh, and then, so, I mean, which was great. I mean, I played a full game, which was exciting. And, uh, and I hadn't done that since with the seals a long time ago. So I, uh, we go to Boston, we go into Boston, we beat them. Um, and Springfield obviously is about 90 minutes away. So I had friends coming to pick me up because it was the end of a road trip. There were some injuries and I just figured everybody figured, well, once we get back to LA a couple of days off, then, you know, these guys will come back. So we go into Boston, uh, and I still hadn't scored, but I picked up a couple of assists. We beat Boston, and uh, so I'm getting ready at the end of the game uh, after. And he knew a lot of the friends that came to pick me up, so we were talking, and he said, yeah, he said, i got to send you back to Springfield. I said, no, I, I appreciate the opportunity, Bob. And he said, "He said no, he said, I want you to pick up some clothes and get on a plane out to L.A. Oh, that's nice, nice. Yeah. So it was, uh, I can't remember how many games were left. It was like 30-something or 30 that year. And when I turned pro, I said, if I can score 20 a year, that's good fishing. And yeah. I, I, you were a player if you could score 20. Yep. Yep. So I played the second half of the year, and I scored um, 21. 21, and which was like, okay. And uh, next year, obviously, went to training camp. You're still paranoid that I was, wasn't going to make, sure. I mean, um, uh, ma- wasn't going to make the team. So, But we started right from training camp, and uh, I went from uh, – being told to find another job to lead in the league in goals the next year. So, I mean, that's, oh, nice, I mean, it's, nice. a, it's a, a phenomenal story, obviously with Marcel and Davey that, I mean, and to this day, we're still great friends and we talk about the fun yeah. we had and, and, it, and there was no set plays. It was really weird that we would just, okay, Mars would say we need a couple and sure enough that shift to go out and get a couple. You three really different players too, right? Like Dave Taylor, people don't know, like he was a mean guy out there. Like he just was like, for his size, I mean, his first training camp, Marcel and we talked Glenn Goldup and, and Dave Hutchison was on the team right. back then, guys, Dan Maloney. And when Dave came out of uh, Clarkson, he played, uh, he got called up or at the end of the year, he played a couple games in the minors for LA, you know, got his teeth knocked out in Fort Worth and this and that. Go to training camp the next year and he was like 175 pounds. Yeah. Me. Yeah. First guy he goes after, he fights is Dave Hutchison. <laughs> All these guys, all the guys back then, you know, the veterans say, okay, yeah, let's just make it easy. Don't get hurt. We'll get through the, you know, and back then it was three, four week training camp. Right. And here's this kid, college kid running everybody. And that's, yeah. we made the team. And from that point, you know, obviously his, his career is phenomenal. 1,200 games in LA. And, right. uh, but I mean, real tough games too. Marcel is Marcel. Yeah. he do it all. Yeah. Like with Dave though, he amazed me because that, we didn't play against him that often. You guys that often were in New York and you're LA. So you're playing against Dave and you really don't know that much about him. Not like today where you can watch all the games and the internet and everything. And you don't, I wasn't even doing anything to him. And all of a sudden, like, crash checked me in the face or something like dirty like that. And look at like, what are you, what are you doing? And he just, he just look at you. He wouldn't talk very much. He's a quiet guy. And uh, he was at game time. He wouldn't back down from anybody. Yeah, I asked him to do that for all the cross checks. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Sure. Charlie, were you as shocked as the entire hockey world in 1987 when the great Marcel Dion was traded for, uh, a bag of pucks and Tom Laidlaw. Were you? Uh, how'd you handle that? Well, Stu went here though. I was gone by then. I was uh, traded to Boston, um, and I think yeah. then I was in Pittsburgh. And and it was it was tough to see because of what he had done for um, L.A. Yeah. I mean, and again, it came down to a business decision. I mean, obviously, um, he wanted more money, and I think Rogie was the GM. Rogie didn't want to give him more money, and <clears throat> and of course, then egos get involved, and um, and unfortunately. 
it, it would have been nice to see him finish like Davey did in LA. Yeah. Well, it's terrible to say this. I don't know how you were when you got traded. Your ego kicks him when you get traded, right? So you want to know that you got traded for a good player, which yeah. Marcel certainly was a good player. But at that time, like he was like 90 years old at that point. But not yeah. 90, but he was, he was getting a little older, long in the tooth. This was that. I didn't know that. Did he demand a trade then? Well, I, I think they were, they were, ta- I mean, because that was when the start of the, I mean, unfortunately, the start of the big money that I missed started to come out. And I think he was trying to negotiate. And I think it got into, and Marcel and Rogi were good friends too. And that was yeah. the issue, right? It was like, what's going on here? Sit down, boys, and get it done. But I, I don't know if it was uh, a note for LA to, um, to yeah. you know, get, I wouldn't say get rid of Marcel, but, you know, to pass on uh, some salary and this and that. And of course, everybody started looking at salaries and salary caps and things like that back then. So I'm not sure if it was because of that and it gave them a note. Um, but obviously, Marcel is a very strong personality guy, and he he knows what he's worth, and he knows how hard he's done and what he's done for a franchise. So, I I don't know the whole gist of that, and I never asked Marcel, but I know it, it hurt him a lot to to be get to be traded out of L.A. And where were you guys practicing in L.A.? Were you at Culver City now? Yeah, we were at uh, Culver City, the uh, ski uh, ski lift ice that went up like moguls, and, and I think uh, <laughs> right after that, I think Luke once he got established, he built that. Uh, yeah. facility way out in um, in yeah. the valley. Yeah, but it was still Culver City. Man, so people don't know you think you're in the NHL, you know, and a lot of these practice ranks are just, there's nothing to them. Like the, the ice was like, Charlie's drove around, the ice was terrible. You know, locker room was up, wasn't the locker room upstairs? You didn't have to go upstairs? Well, upstairs, yeah, we had the one, we had the one exercise bike that everybody hung their jacket on and we had the one dumbbell that kept the door open because it was too hot up there. <laughs> that that conditioning was a bit. That was the workout facility, and now you look at the the great facilities yeah. players have now. It's phenomenal. Chefs and the, the facilities, yeah, it's um, it, it's nice to see how it's progressed. Do you think think back to the way the game was for us when we played? How like the, the the equipment, the training methods, the things we knew, didn't know. Like now, I work out my core all the time. Like before, somebody said like core. I think what what is a core? Yeah, how many gears do we get after each game? And there's uh, any pizza going? <laughs> I know that's conditioning, <laughs> right? There's a couple of things in LA that we shouldn't gloss over. One is the miracle in Manchester, but two is, and you might not know this, but Charlie's a bit of a rock star, and they have a he had a record out with Marcel Dion and Dave Taylor. Way before MTV, um, uh, we sold over half a million copies, so we have a gold record. Uh, wow, technically, and uh, still no residuals from MTV. Nothing. We did the video, everything. Of course, with the Rangers, did the other side. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Now, I, I may be touching you on something. It's a little touchy subject that you're now you're remarried, but your first wife, she was a little famous too, wasn't she? Yes, yeah, she was. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, I'll say it then. I, I put him in a tough spot. The Playboy model, correct? Yes, right. Yeah. So we we'll move on from that subject. See, you're remarried. You know, we, we've done how many shows we've done now, Tom? Close to ninety shows. This is eighty-eight. And what do you think the divorce rate is amongst guys that they've? How many guys have stayed married? Yeah, like Charlie's seventy-five to eighty <laughs> percent. Yeah, no, it's been good. I mean, good. Unfortunately, it's part of the game, I guess. When you, especially when you get near the end of your career, uh, unfortunately, it didn't last. But uh, out of it, I ended up with a, a beautiful young lady daughter, and we have a granddaughter right. now. And then I upgraded, and, and now I've been married for twenty-nine years. See now that's see technically now that first one now it gets a race because if you stay married that long the second time around that's that's the rules right the second one now if it stays that long first one gets a race so it is so you really you're not in that category 
no, it's it, it's been uh, you know it, it you go through you're young and it, a lot of a lot of things happen in your uh, and I think finally uh, you get kicked in the head and you go wait a minute okay got to figure this yeah, out okay. and I mean we were involved at hockey so much right I mean it was yeah I mean that's that's I mean everything was revolved around hockey so uh, the aspects of life you you saw that you take it for granted or whatever but um, no it's uh, it's turned out well for me I'm a blessed man uh, three three children and uh, a beautiful granddaughter. Um, so I, were, I, I have no complaints to coming out of hockey. Isn't that true? And I, I don't think I really realized it until, well, I think I hardly knew it, but we started doing this show, Tom and I, and doing the show, there's been sometimes some of the stories of my, my own stories and other guys, Tom will look at me and go, man, you guys are messed up when you're playing. It's just a messed up world. We don't realize how messed up a world it really is. Uh, cause that's all we've ever known. Right. And then you get out of it and you start to get a real job and a real relationship and you think, oh, he's. Well, and it's it's funny back then. It it really wasn't a business. I mean, we we didn't make. I mean, back in the seventy, I didn't make a ton of. My brother was making more money in the mill, and uh, and when I was in the miners, and I'm riding buses and this and that. But it was it was the game you wanted to play. I mean, I wanted to play yeah. in the NHL, and I was going to do anything I could to get get in there. And then, of course, you you do run into some pretty good characters, and uh, yeah. and if you're yeah. weak willed like I am, sometimes you get sucked into the funny stuff. And but it's a uh, you can't beat the life. I mean, uh, I, I wouldn't change anything. Everybody says, well, yeah. you know, if you would have done this, this, and this. I said, look, I scored 50 goals in the NHL. I mean, that's more than I ever thought I would do. I actually played a game in the NHL, which was what my goal was. Um, and then the people you've met, uh, it, it lifelong French. And uh, and yeah. now, I mean, obviously the business part of it is a big part of it now. And, and good for them. I mean, they you know, they they make good money. They train. They, they've got all the facilities. But that's just the progression of life. I mean, look at the guys way before me, you know, that uh, I think bought a Gordie Howell's pension was after turning 52 was 16,000 a year or whatever it was. It was, you know, it was, it was tiny, but you know, the poor guy, he played till he was 52 and people were scared of him that year. I remember playing against him. I know. I was glad he retired when I came. I started in 80, 81. I thought, thank God he retired. I didn't want to play against Gordie Howell. Yeah. He was nasty. That, so how many years, Joe, so you played in the All-Star game in L.A. then, right? You had that one year? Uh, we played, uh, my, my one of my biggest disappointments was the year before, uh, we'd all three of us made the uh, All-Star team. So that'd be 79-80. Um, um, and it was in Detroit. It was the opening of the uh, Joe Lewis. And that was Gordie Howe's last year. And um, we'd both, all three of us made the All-Star team. And uh, uh, I blew my knee out just before that. And, um, and Davey had hurt his shoulder. So we didn't get to play in the all-star game, which oh. was a big disappointment because then we would have had a chance to see, you know, with Gordy and his last year, uh, in an all-star game in Detroit and Marcel was there too. So how, how fun that would have been, but yeah. missed that. Um, the next year, uh, was in LA and, uh, we, uh, we were voted, uh, first team all-star. So we got to start the game. The three of us, uh, introduced together at our home crowd. I saw that. I'll never forget that video was was really cool. You guys getting up together. Yeah, I, but the funny part, of course, we're in L.A. and Jerry Buss is our owner, and uh, of course, the night before they have the dinner downtown in in Bel Air and this and that, and of course, it was like, okay, we're going. You know, you know, Jerry's got limos for everybody. Next thing you know, it's four thirty five in the morning. It was like, and, you know, everybody's you know. You know, guys from the East Coast. I mean, it's winter, and you now you're in L.A. and your palm trees and limos and everything. So we get to the rink the next morning. Scotty Bowman's our coach, and uh, everybody—I mean, uh, Ricky Middleton, Ray Bork—all the guys are in the locker room, just hanging their heads, going, "Oh!" Scotty puts us through a full practice, like, 
balls to the wall practice. And everybody's going, what the hell is going on here? So then, okay, you know, when you got the strategy and everybody's like, well, we're just going to go out and have some fun, right? But of course the game starts, we start, minus one. <laughs> First you have to, you're just going, we get back to the bench and Scotty's looking at us and he's thinking, how can I bench these three guys in LA? And uh, obviously didn't, we, 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 we regrouped a little, we didn't win, but uh, unfortunately we didn't score any goals, but Mike Lewitt was playing that night and he was, he was pretty sharp for the other team. He got, uh, I think he won the, um, the, uh, first uh, or the star of the game and all that but yeah but it was a lot of fun now did you play with Rogie then he was still playing correct when you were there he was uh my first my first training camp he was there that first year he was and then he ended up getting uh was it did he go to Detroit or Boston right after that um, I think yeah. and then uh Mario Lassard came in they had a I mean a mixed match uh, Mario had a, a couple good years and it fell off, and then after that, it was just a who's who of goalies up until probably Kelly Rudy got there. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's funny. I felt so bad for Rogie. As you know, Rogie's such a great guy, like quiet, you know, gentleman and everything. And he was GM when I was out there in L.A., and we had training camp. Wayne was there. We had training camp in Hull. And so, of course, you know, he had the meeting the, the first morning there. or he had the physicals the first morning there, and then you were supposed to come back at night for the meeting. So, you know, we got a veteran team. Larry Robinson, Wayne Gretzky, myself, Dave Taylor. John Tonelli, all these guys. So we all go to the strip joint in the afternoon in Hull. So we would go into the private room. I can't remember what it was called. You know, they get the camera there. So we took the girls' panties off and put it over the camera so nobody could see what was going on. The whole team's in there. I remember I was sitting with Timmy Waters and we said, we, we're drinking beer all afternoon. We got to go back to this meeting. We said, what should we do with this? Well, well where's Wayne? We can do whatever we want to do with Wayne. And we go back for the meeting. And it was a great bonding thing for the guys. But poor Rogie's trying to have this serious meeting. And we're all like a bunch of little kids. I felt it was funny at the time, but then you wake up next morning, oh, poor Rogi, because he's trying to have the serious meeting. Yeah. Um, we, had fun. we had fun, though. It was quite a team, you guys, when they put it together, late 80s in L.A. I mean, and especially in that in that environment, because you're not looking at the intensity that you have back east. I yeah. mean, you, you get some coverage, and uh, I think one year we had the, our, the L.A. Times hockey reporter came out of the uh, garden and home and garden section. You know, and didn't mean nothing about hockey, but you're the hockey guy now and traveling with us. So it was, it was kind of interesting where you could, um, obviously the, the intensity now winning the Stanley Cups there is picked up, but you yeah. could go anywhere and, and not, um, yeah, recognize or have any pressure. What was that famous coach? Charlie said there's a hundred thousand Canadians in Los Angeles and they all hate hockey. Yeah. Well, Jack Ken Cook came in and he said, I'm, I'm building the team here because there's 250,000 Canadians in, uh, in LA, and uh, of course, the first couple of years were pretty tough in LA, and that was when the coach came out and said, "Yeah, but they all hate hockey." <laughs> the other joke was they someone said, "What time does the game start?" And they said, "What time can you make it?" Right? Yeah, <laughs> the late arriving LA. But you know, crowd. oh yeah, but yeah, I got to. I, I, I love New York, so when I got traded. It wasn't that I didn't like LA. I just I loved New York. I didn't want to get traded. But we had a great bunch of guys: Jay Wells, and Phil Sykes, and Jimmy Fox, and all those guys. Um, and I never forget we were living. Uh, I rented a home in uh, Palos Verdes, Rolling Hills Estates, and uh, uh, we had a pool and a hot tub in the backyard. So the first Christmas I was there, I was sitting in the hot tub having a cocktail. Man, man, this isn't so bad after all, right? Yeah, <laughs> cool. I I loved LA. It was I loved New York. I loved LA. It was two good cities. How long did you spend in LA? Uh, we were there uh, seven years, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then, um, well, I spent some time in, so I, my, my, most of my career, it was California, which is kind of strange. Two years in Oakland, seven in LA. And then when I retired, I, I moved back to San Diego 
and ended up coaching there for a couple of, assistant coaching for a couple of years. And then uh, went back up and did well in the Kings uh, Montreal finals. I did uh, broadcasting there. And then I did the first three years of broadcasting with the Ducks. So, I mean, California is uh, pretty uh, familiar to me. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Were you there in San Diego when Don Waddell was there? Yes. Don was the uh, GM. And then, uh, uh, so the first two years I was a play, player assistant coach. Um, I think oh. I played uh, uh, probably about eight games, but it, w- it was fun. I scored the first goal. Oh, okay. uh, when he came back in the new San Diego history. So that was pretty good. Uh, great story. We had Ron Dugay show up. Dugues oh, that's right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So it was, it was, and he was, uh, uh, Kim Alexis, he was married to. So, I mean, coming from, um, uh, you know, from knowing him in the past, obviously having some drinks and everything, he was such a health, health nut back then when yeah. he came yeah. to San Diego. Uh, I think he showed up in his roles at practice and, uh, of course, Dukes the long hair and everything. Oh yeah. And uh, so, and then he, cause he, you know, crazy legs, just skating like Jack the wind, you know, just yep. funny. So we get out, get ready for the first game and send the minors. And I'd played a lot of games in the minors in my first five years. So it was kind of, I know what's going on and he's going out he's got his hair flowing. He's got this and that. And he's got his earring in and this and that. Going just ready to line up. I said, Dukes, he says, you got to take that earring out. He's like, what do you mean? He says, you take that earring out. He says, someone's going to pull it out. No, 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 no. It's going to be all right. Come back the next period, took it out. <laughs> you could see guys. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, well, really? They were trying to pull it out? Well, it was the young guys, right? Trying to, I mean, right. take a yeah. shot at Ron Bluegay or, I mean, that's like, you know, that was funny. Uh, but it was, uh, you know, of course, he, you know, and then it helped uh, San Diego with the attendance and everything, of course. Sure. But, but uh, that was funny story. So, yeah, so San Diego was good. Donnie was there. And then obviously, after the first couple of years, uh, Fred Comrie bought the team from Edmonton. Oh. Um, Yep. And they brought in Rick Dudley, and I think that was the start of Rick Duds. And I think um, Lindy Ruff was his assistant. So, and that's when I got into broadcasting. So you're not going to be a very good coach. So let's go try something else. Did you not like coaching, or just didn't think that was your thing? It was fun. It was fun. Uh, I don't know in the in the pros, it it'd be a little bit tougher. I think, um, and I think my strengths were more teaching than anything. So I mean, like assistant coach, I think would have been fine that way. But. Uh, I, I don't have the temperament to be a head coach for sure. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, the, like, think about it too. Your career is dependent on a bunch of muttheads like we were when we played, right? I, it's like, yeah. Right. I think back, so, I, I mean, want to coach me. But I enjoy, I enjoyed that. Like, I helped the young guys in San Diego quite a bit. And uh, I enjoyed that quite a bit. It was, it was a lot of fun. You know, I found playing in the minors was harder than playing in the National Hockey League. Because for me, as oh, a well, when I was that guy. Yeah. yeah. Right, because there's a bunch of automatics. Like I'd come around the back of the net, and there'd be always in the NHL. You knew the guy was going to be on the hash marks, pass it to him. My job's done. And then you do that in the minors. I'd come back in that a couple of times, and I go to the shoot, pass it to the hash mark, and nobody's there, and they're coming back to the bench and saying, "You played in the NHL." It, it definitely was more simpler in the NHL, and uh, yeah. and uh, not as confusing. But uh, I agree with you 100 percent on that one. So, what's the farthest you guys went in the playoffs with LA? Unfortunately. Uh... Just the second round, uh, we lost to. Well, we beat Edmonton on on that one series in '82. Mm-hmm. We went up against Vancouver, and um, we just we just couldn't uh, get by Brodeur. He was the uh, uh, Richard Brodeur, and I, I think he they they went all the way to the finals. I think against and lost or the finals to Chicago or something. Or that's the year they lost to uh, the Rangers. I think wasn't it? No, Islanders. So that was Islanders. Sorry, Islanders. Yeah. Um, that's right. And uh, 
Verdeer was just unbelievable. We just couldn't get anything by him in the second round. Um, but that was uh, that was the furthest I got. Well, I want to tell my honest about the brawl in nineteen eighty one with you guys, because Charlie, who did you pair up with in that when Marcel Dion was getting pumped up by uh, Ed Hospodar? I was uh, up in the luxury suite sucking on a cocktail. <laughs> there you go. That's right. Yeah, you didn't uh, play. That's where you were hurt. No, I, I had broke my leg that year. That was the year. I was a, the year before. Um, uh, I was uh, I broke my leg March first. And then obviously that year, um, we had a really good, I think we finished a hundred and some points or something. And, yep. um, uh, obviously going up against the Rangers and a very physical team. And we were never a really physical team in, uh, in LA. We tried to get guys to, to, to you know, compliment everybody, but, uh, yeah, that was kind of tough to watch sitting up there. Yeah. Do you remember when, uh, somebody was down on the bench on your team, they grabbed Eddie Hospital from behind, uh, he was on the ice and Nick Fatio came out of the stands and grabbed the poor guy. I don't know who it was, and just ragged all of them. It's a hilarious oh. video to watch. Oh, really? I hadn't yeah. seen it. I don't know if I've seen that video. But, uh, yeah, Nick yeah. Nick could do that. Yeah. Yeah, we had a, we had a big, tough team. Eddie Hospital, Chris Katsopoulos, uh, Barry Beck. You know, dudes could fight, grass could fight. Yeah, it was, uh, Tom, I don't think we, yeah, Tom, back Tom, then Tom. I could, yeah. yeah. Did you get in a lot of fights, Charlie? Uh, when you're younger, you do. Um, yeah. But, uh, uh, when you get a little older, it's like, uh, the, I always laugh at this. Uh, I went and did the protocol, NHL protocol concussion thing. And they said, so they said I had 29 professional fights. So I won them all. There's no video. But um, you know, my, my, and of course, being a big guy back then, that was during the Flyers. Everybody, you know, they're saying, you've got to fight. You're a big guy and yeah. this and that. And, you know, and, and I could I could do it. But if it's not in your, I mean, some guys love it. And some guys, that's their, their job. But. I remember a memorable fight uh, uh, where I, I thought maybe I could do this. It was Mario Marwa, you know, playing oh, tough. He's tough and gutted. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's he's like Tom Laidlaw, just hammering me in the back, just cross check, cross check. So finally, that was enough. And I turned around, away we went, and um, I dropped him and started swinging. And I, I don't know what I did, but I did something right. I I, th- I got him in a spin, and I'm spinning, and I'm and I'm just hammering. And down he went. I'm looking like night, and I'm going. That's the belt. I got the belt. We're going in the family. <laughs> We're sitting there. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. I said, think, well, maybe I could do a little bit more of this, you know? And I, he's tapping on the window. He's like pointing. He said, we're going again. I'm going, let's go. I mean, come on. I just yeah. thank you. Get on the ice. We square off. Next thing you know, I'm looking at the lights. He's looking down at me. He says, now we're even. Didn't know what <laughs> Just no idea what happened. And, uh, you know, I get back to the, I get, you know, in the box, my chin's starting to hurt, my jaw's a little bit sore, and I get back to the bench, and I go, I don't know what happened. I did so well in the first fight. He says, you didn't know he's left-handed? Oh. <laughs> so, well, I, the first fight, I must have had him spinning the wrong way, and he couldn't throw from the left. Of course, in the, the second one, I grab his right shoulder, I pull back like I got a hammer, and next thing, I just one punch, just straight left me, and down I went. I went, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> I know. Isn't that true? Like he, he, we laughed about it. And again, he was he was an honest player, so he wasn't dirty yeah. or anybody. He he yeah. he healed up really quick, and I went, okay, that's good. Yeah. Is that true? Like you get there and you 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 know you're tough enough, you can fight, you show you can do it. But then every game, you know, there's some Islanders, there's Clark Gillies and Bob Nystrom. You go to Philly, there's like five guys, Boston, there's ten guys. After a while, you want, oh god, like every game, especially for a guy like you, there's talent to score goals. Like you really didn't have to fight either. Yeah, no, it's uh, it it's you know you kind of gotta you know, find your way through it for sure because uh, yeah. and of course now with the rules and everything is so much different. But yeah. Uh, yeah. 
boy back there it was just like you know some of the young guys said well you guys were so slow and you couldn't you couldn't play in today's game and you go well i like to see you go around uh, ed van yeah. and he and he yeah. and he he crosses oh, breaks yeah. this stick over your arm well he'd get suspended no he says he gets two minutes in the penalty box for slash and then yeah, he, yeah. you come right back out he's going to do it again you know so you know, there's there's certain aspects of the game that you you can't. I'm not going to compare myself with the Bobby or Gordy Howard or Ted Lynn. I mean, you just enjoy the area you were in and be grateful you got to play. Yeah, Tom. Full credit to Charles. It's about the fighting. He fought. He took on Rod Langway, which is impressive. Huh? But then you also fought Brian Prop and Borja Salming. So how do you fight Borja Salming? How does that happen? Well, Both there wasn't much to it. He, he's strong. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and uh, yeah, I I can't even remember. Uh, well, prop was proper, and that was—I mean, I think that was a nice hug fest, maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. And same with him with Salming. I mean, it was just—I think it's in front of the net. You turn around, you're not sure who who's cross-checking your hit, and you, you sooner or later you've had enough. And uh, right. I don't—I—I I believe probably no punches were thrown in both those fights. Yeah, I don't know. Salming was a game. Salming was a game player. Like people think of him that skill guy, but he take he take out Philadelphia all by himself some nights. Yeah. So, um, so what made you retire then? Nobody wanted me. I'm still not retired. Oh, yeah. I'm still I did retire either. Yeah, yeah I'm YouTube. still available. I'm, there's a lot of teams been calling, and a lot of it is they're saying that the cap is, you know, there's just not enough room to put that much more money. <laughs> in the cap. Right. Um, yeah, I just, uh, uh, I got uh, Pittsburgh, and I had the year got bought out. Uh, they went through a transition there, um, and I really wasn't um, thinking about retiring. I still wanted to to play a little bit more and then uh, an offer came out from uh, Germany to play and I was going well you know it's a couple of years uh, it was good money and it was a different experience so uh, I, I really I, I didn't even try on the year after Pittsburgh to get in contact because over there you start hockey in July you, for training and all that so um, it was it was a good uh, it was a good experience I enjoyed that quite a bit any regrets at all no I don't I well, I mean, obviously now you, you, you know, uh, I would, I would look back and say, quit being so stupid in your first two or three years, you know, but, uh, that was just what your, your, your environment was, you know, I mean, you're looking like, well, if, if you're not with the seals and you're with a, a contender, do you play any different? Uh, yeah, I could have played different, but it might've changed the style that actually made me successful. So sure. yeah, you, you, I can't go back. I mean, obviously I wouldn't, I, I'd like to not get hurt as much. I mean, this, uh, he scored 56 goals two years in a row and, and only played 60-some games. So, that, I mean, that would have been nice to play a full year, you know, with Marcel and Davey uh, healthy um, just to see what we could do. I think that year, I think all three of us have been over 50 goals if, if Davey hadn't got hurt that year too. Uh, I mean, Marcel and I were both over 50, but that would have been quite a, a feat. I mean, yeah. obviously, the first line down over 100 points each. But, I mean, Davey and I missed – um, I mean, we missed each six weeks those two years. So um, that, 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 that'd that be nice to see stuff like that, just the injuries, uh, maybe less of those. Yeah. So has anybody ever done that before a line, get three guys, get 50 goals each? That's never happened, right? Well, I, I don't I don't think that anybody has had – I mean, uh, I know the Oilers would say sometimes Messier would play Gretzky yeah. and Curry. I mean, yeah. both, obviously Curry and, and, uh, and Gretz would score 150 between the two of them. Yeah. And it was 92, 92, and, and I know Curry got at least 50 that year. So there's 140 goals and two players. Yeah. And then I uh, I work with Dave Hunter uh, in oil and gas a little bit, and he's got some funny stories where they'd say they would put him up on that line 
you know, every once in a while. And he'd score like five straight games and get goals. And next thing you know, he's on the fourth line again and say there'd yeah. be laughing. And he's just, he says, I'm just letting you know. You know I, I'm the boss here. <laughs> I'm a goal scorer now, you know. <laughs> and of course, Lumley was doing the same things, things like that. Guys get a chance. But um, yeah, I, I'm not sure at that point. I don't know if anybody had ever done it because uh, not a lot of guys, I mean, since that time, not a lot of players, teams have three guys in the same line. Yeah. I yeah. think you're seeing the domination of two and then they keep adding one on either side or whatever. Uh, they, they need to do now. Yeah, the, the Islanders like that. They had Trotchy and Bossy together all the time. Sometimes Gillies would get up there. Sometimes uh, Tonelli would get up there, but they change around. Yeah, it is rare. You know, it's funny you talk about Gretzky. I played with Tim Tim Waters when we all laid together. So we were the two defensive defensemen. And uh, so there's a couple of times when you went on the ice where Wayne wants some offensive guys on the ice. And he was a fantastic teammate. But he'd see Tim and I come on the ice and he'd just roll his eyes and go like, oh my God. And he, Man. he didn't, like he, it was funny because we knew he would apologize right away. He just emotions would get the best of him. We knew. You know, people, yeah. yeah. We knew a lot of stuff. You want a Steve Deshane out there or something. Yeah. But he would. Muddy's a great guy. I, That's yeah. it. Yeah. You know him. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I remember we were playing in Winnipeg and he was there. And obviously, we, he was on there when we were on the ice. Yeah. The directors and all that. And uh, I mean, back then, I mean, he had a hold of my stick tighter than I had a hold of I hung it at the end of the shift. I just gave it to him. I says, here, you, you're holding it long. And so here he's skating off the ice with two sticks. Oh, that's funny. That's a good story. I like that. And that's Timmy Waters too. And, uh, he, yeah, and then we ended up yet. moving together in the world championship, of course, oh, uh, in the oh. 83. So it was, I mean, Muddy's been a good friend and I just laughed. One of the best team, a team, a great teammate on and off the ice, right? He was all about the team. He do every head. Pound for pound. I mean, he would take use and he would get, I mean, just give it, just, just get away from me. Leave me alone. It's some of the things he would say to guys. Like, you can't say the things he would say to guys. Like, now you can't say that stuff. He would do yeah. anything he had to do to get the guys off, off the game. Yeah. Well, Mr. Shimmer, thank you very much for coming on the show. You've been fantastic. Uh, you've had a fantastic career. I remember, uh, seriously, I joke around about it, but I, when I was a young player, I was just like, you were talking to me. Like, this is great. Charlie Shimmer is talking to me. Like, my buddy's out here on the ice, and then you go score a goal. And I'm like, oh, God, what an idiot I am. Just a big trap. That it was, it was too. Well, again, thank you for coming on the show. You had a fantastic career. Good to see you again. You're looking great too, by the way. Man, you, um, got the, you got the full head of hair in a little bit. Trying to get there. Coming big birthday this year, so I gotta try to. Is stay it seven old? You're seventy coming up. Coming up a couple, another month or a couple of weeks. Yeah. Seriously, you look great. We really do. Uh, yeah, happy I'm birthday. Feeling, feeling like I'm sixty-eight. There you go. There you go. All right, Charlie. Good to see you. All right, thanks, thanks on, Charlie. All the best. Hey, Tom, as advertised, Charlie Simmer was great, man. He was funny, like you said. He was, uh, it was just from your first interaction. That that seems to be his personality, you know, all this time later. Yeah, yeah. We like, was, I, I loved doing these shows we talked about before. They played against the guy. And we talked each other on the ice a little bit. We really didn't know him too much, but knew of his personality. And, uh, yeah, he's funny. And he was holding back a little bit, too. You know, he's, uh, I'm sure he's got a lot of stories that you can't tell. Sure. Right now, but, uh, I said he lulled you to sleep in that first game. Hey, good to see yeah. you, Tom. How you doing? Right, here you go, minus one. I never forget that. And we talked about the story on the show, but I learned a good lesson from him. And then Joey Mullen was like that. There were guys who were like, you know, here, I'm just supposed to be this big, tough defense. We don't go throw them around a whole bit. They're just sucking me right into it. Yeah. Scored full. Dash one. Yeah. But, you know, oh, it's yeah. amazing. He was on one of the greatest lines in the NHL yeah. history. And it's, it's just amazing how it clicks like that sometimes. You know, he said he was kind of a floundering NHL yeah. player, minor league player. And then he just got this chemistry with Deion and Taylor and it, it yeah. took off. You know? I mean, he's got, you know, I just go back to back years. 
Yeah, yes. I didn't know about him being in the minors at the start of his career because I used to always just looked at him as he's an NHL player and a high-level NHL player too, really skilled, not the best skater in the world, but really skilled, smart player. You know, we joke around about him talking on the ice, but he still was a great competitor too. You know, he, he was out there to score goals. Yeah, I read a lot of respect for him, yeah. Yeah, 342. I, I think I was wrong in the opening, but yeah, 342 NHL goals. That's a pretty good career. Well, yeah, he's married to a Playboy model, too. That's the other thing. Yeah, oh, he didn't really want to go there. That no, he didn't. He's, he's, re, he's remarried now, so he was much, very much a gentleman. Uh, yes, I, he, would not take the, he would not take the bait at all now. You're in L.A. You guys were dating your, all your models in New York. You know, that's just coming with the territory. We're in New York and L.A. But, you know, I, one thing, and, and we have had Luke Robitaille on the show. He did a great episode with us, number 75. So we'll say he's your friend and a fan. He's the president of the Kings. That number 11, it's going to get retired for Kopitar when he's done. Yeah. I think she retired Charlie Simmons number two. Yeah, you know, I didn't even think of that. You're right. Problem is, Kopitar had such a great career. Not that Charlie's wasn't great too, but Kopitar was there when they won the Cups, the captain of the team and everything. Oh, absolutely. He deserves it. He deserves yeah. it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. But, but, you know, you have Brad Park's number um, should be retired for the Rangers. Yeah. And maybe, you know, Tom Laidlaw's probably not, but Park and Leach, you have Bathgate and Graves, right? You have, yeah, uh, so you have numbers that are retired and Hadfield and Messier both were 11. So you can do it. Yeah, you're right. Man, that triple crown line, yeah, that was historic there in L.A. That was, they, they were the L.A. Kings there for a while. For sure. Yeah, it's a good point, but I never thought of it that way. But, yeah, yeah it's, it was so interesting because, again, I, I'm repeating myself here, but I never viewed him that he played in the Myers. So I just viewed him as this yeah. high-level NHL player. So, right, I should be retired. Yeah. yeah, he he bounced around at the beginning until he found his niche. But, but yeah, I mean, that, that line was iconic. He didn't want to yeah. talk about the song because it's pretty terrible. It was the B-side yeah. to Hockey Sock Rock. People can look at that. Right. I forgot about that. That's right. Oh, yeah. yeah, Alan Thicke wrote a couple of songs, one for the Rangers and one for the Kings, and there were videos too, early videos, like way yeah. back in the day. I think you have like JD playing a jar of mustard that's or something. Right. And that's right, yes. Oh, who was the never... Ranger one? It was JD. Yeah, oh. It was Pat Hickey, JD, Espo, and who else was in it? Maybe I think it was Dave Maloney. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. So that's nobody, ever, nobody ever asked me to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you weren't there that year. You were still at Northern Michigan, but. Yeah. You know, you would have been, you could have, you could have played like some kind of like a, a banjo because you were. Although I did do the Practical Joker video. I got that video. Nobody yeah, else. Who else, has, who else has done a Practical Joker video? The next they should give a retro Emmy. Not, you know what? Emmy's not even, they should give a retro Oscar for that. Yeah. Even though it wasn't a movie, it should. Now, Bob Borg, I'm almost positive this. Bob Borgen was a producer who did that. He produced uh, yeah. the King's Games on uh, Prime Ticket. And I, I'm pretty sure he was up for an Emmy for the production of that video. Not for my, yeah. Oh, Wow. It was pretty cool. People haven't seen it, right? He's got like the silhouette, the silhouette of me talking like I'm this criminal and, you know, like I'm like hidden yes. identity. And, like, I'm, I can't you can find it on YouTube. You know what? I'll, I'll try, I'll link it to our, our, our uh, yeah. YouTube page. I'll get it up there. Cause it's, I mean, the acting is top notch. Yourself. Isn't it true? Seriously. Luke Robitaille is great. Marty McSorley is great in it. So, and I think you got, what, you get, uh, Guy Gosselin, was he the goal? Yeah. Yeah. I think phone. It is amazing to see the old phone on the wall there. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing to see, I mean, you're, you're just, your acting is on point. I mean, they, they, should give, they should give a retro, you know, like almost like a, you know, they right the wrongs of the past. Like you should be lauded, lauded for that video. Don't you think like there's an old movie like the, the Searchers that John Wayne was in? And they, apparently that was the movie that everybody watched and kind of patterned themselves after to do Westerns. So probably a lot of actors saw me acting. For sure. Okay, I'm going to watch that video of Laidlaw. No, I, I think the this, this successful show, Practical Jokers, I think was, it was definitely inspired by that. By that episode right. of you in that, right. that poorly shot. Funniest home video. Funniest home videos, right? All that too. Any, I mean, Star Wars was probably inspired by. You that. know, this is terrible. Did you ever watch funniest home videos? I in the past, sure. No, I, I'm a sick man. Like I get a kick out of the overweight people falling down. Like they show those videos all the time. 
I just, I'm dying. Height, height, bully. You get a video, you know, you have short people walking, you know, under things. You get a kick out of that too. You have bully, weight bully, height bully. It's supposed to be positivity, Mr. Laidlaw. Pump it up. I'm helping, I'm helping people. I'm trying to shame them. That's not healthy. That's not healthy for you to be overweight. Shaming people. I think he's a little shaming in there. But look, uh, funny some videos was, you know, nut shots for, for 20 years. Everybody loved seeing that. You know, I still dad's kicked it. And there's like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> now we have Instagram and YouTube and, and Twitter and, and reels. TikTok. Yeah, reels. So you can see all that stuff everywhere. But what a great interview with Charles Simmer. You were right. You said he was going to be funny. He was funny. Yeah, I'm a great player. Hopefully, Luke, if you're listening, get that number retired, man. Let's, let's point that out. Start that campaign. Yes. Simmer in the rafters. Yeah. Well, you got Taylor is up there. Marcel Dion's up there. Let's And Bernie Nichols should be up there, too. I'm not sure if he is or not. Oh, good point. But you're the career hat. Wayne's it. There's, no. there's a statue outside the building for Wayne, right? I would, I would assume. Here, here we go. Yeah. Kings. Here you go. Los Angeles Kings retired numbers. No, not number three, shockingly, um, based on your four years there. But Rob Blake's number four. Marcel Dion, Dave Taylor, Luke Robitaille, Rogie Rashawn, and Wayne Gretzky. Wow. So you know, you know they're gonna retire. They'll retire Dustin Brown's number. They'll retire probably Jonathan Quick's number. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. They'll retire Kopitar, and then you know there's room for Bernie and for uh, Charlie Simmer. So let's go, let's go, Luke. Very interesting. I never thought of that. Yeah, number three's not there. Who's somebody was wearing number two when I first got there? That's why I took number three. I think it was uh, Redmond. That right. was. Uh, oh, Craig Redmond. Craig Redmond, I think it was, was wearing number two. Yeah. Was Brian Benning number two? No, he was. Is he after? No, he was there with me. I think he may have worn number two. Yeah, he's a good player. Yeah, he was good defenseman. Gary Galley was. He was three, wasn't he? Yes, he was. And he got traded before me, so I, three was open. Yeah, they offered me number two to, after the next year. I said, Nah, I wouldn't made the change. So move on. This is a new thing. You're stepping up. You're like Tom 3.0. Yeah. yeah. Here's a question. Yeah. You have those jerseys hanging in your office. We talk about this yeah. a lot, but the, now in the past they would just take the nameplate off and put a new nameplate on, right? If the size was close. Yeah, like, yeah, he, totally, yeah. So how well, Don Waddell, sorry, Don Waddell talked about him getting his. His wife actually found his jersey, but she had they had to take the name plaque. So there's somebody else's name on top of his name. They just went sold over top of it. So they, so they just, so they would just take a new. I guess they wouldn't have. You wouldn't have five jerseys a year. You basically have one sweater for the oh, season. Yeah. yeah, that was it. Wow. Yeah, but yeah, no, they didn't. Uh, that's and again, I think that's largely why they had the the darker the dark jersey was on the road used on the road because it would get dirty more often on the road and they didn't want to replace it. So ah, that's an interesting story. No one, I, that, look at that insight you just gave our, our audience and myself, Tom. That's awesome. Yeah. So just that's a it's a fascinating point you make that the dark jerseys were on the road because they would get I guess transported more, they'd get dirtier, blood stains, yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm I'm looking back at the Kings' history and before you, it was actually it, Gary Galley was in 1984. But then, uh, then eighty five to two thousand. Then Ken Hammond had it for you. Cambone, Hambone, Teddy Hammond. Let's see. I think he was running a junior team up in one uh, sound Ontario. I think that's what he was doing. No, no, that was Dale DeGrate. Okay. I and mean, we had some. We had a good bunch of guys in L.A. You know, I, I like I said, I love New York. I think great teammates there too. But uh, once I got settled in there in L.A., we had a really good. Like even before Wayne got there, we had a good hockey team there. Uh, I was a junior there. Yeah. It, it's got to be a different world, though, playing in Los Angeles because, I mean, yeah. there's no media. I mean, there is, but it's not like New York. Yeah. And like Charlie said in the show, too, like a lot of times you got eight or 9,000 people in your home building. And the worst was, and this is, it's like, I think a lot of people really like the jersey as a retro jersey now, the purple and gold. But you go into a place like Montreal and you're Guy Lafleur skating around Larry Robinson, red, white, and blue. You got all the banners up there, the this rafters. And then we're skating around there in purple and gold. It really just was. was I think they looked. Listen, I think they look amazing. When I was in sixth grade, I begged my parents to get me a Los Angeles Kings yellow oh, purple jersey. Really? I did. And I, the Bernie Nichols jersey, still have it. Um, 
And it was a great jersey. But I want to ask you, now that we're talking about it, just give me off the top of your head the three best NHL jerseys. Well, Rangers, I mean, I'm prejudiced, but I, I mean, you like them. Uh, Home or away? The blue or the white? I like the blue. Yep. Um, the Chicago jersey, the, especially the the red one. Beautiful. That was nice, yeah. Ah, uh, man, and then there's, there's Toronto, Montreal. Like, all those original six teams. Like, maybe not Detroit in that category, but, like, I'll, I'll go with Montreal. Montreal's got the, 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 the home one, the red one. Yeah, the red one, yes. I some of the darker jerseys I like better. Yeah, because well, when you grew up, they would wear those at home. Now they yeah. flip. Now it's back. Yeah, but I also think the Flyers jersey is a very underrated jersey too. The orange jersey, oh, just kind really? of, it's a great looking jersey. Even the Boston ones too, especially the black Boston one. Yeah, so those were the darker colors. I always felt better wearing the darker colors for some reason. I just felt like they says wear a black T-shirt of all time things. So. Well, yeah, you still right now you're wearing a black shirt. How do you feel about these like the alternate jerseys and this? Do you like the Rangers Stadium Series jersey with the big NYR down the front? Oh, yeah, I did see that. Yeah, but I, I like it, but I don't like it as much as the regular jersey. I'm with you. Yeah. But you know jersey I like? I like the Cleveland Barons jersey. I like the Golden Seals jersey. I like the Kings jersey. I like all jerseys Charlie Simmer wore. He was a great guest, great player, and it was good to have him on the show. Good sense of humor, too. And again, he held back a little bit because he could get him alone. He's got he's a great storyteller, but a lot of stories you can tell he can't, uh, he can't repeat on the show. We'll, we'll do that on the uh, the After Hours episodes. Yeah, that's right, too. That'd be a, no, that'd be a funny show, do an After Hours episode. Let's do it. Charlie wouldn't do that. He's still married, so he can't do that. No, nah, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna take plead the fifth on that one. Yes, he's a smart man. He's a smart man. Smart man like yourself. And great show. And if you want a smart man like Tom Laidlow to come to your event, please send an email to fullchangepodcast at gmail.com. Please like this show, share it, give us a review. And uh yeah, t- tell your friends about it. Yes. We can dance, we can cook, we can do that. Oh, I'm really big in the big sourdough kick right now. Sourdough I, bread. I've seen that. Tom's Tom sourdough you, bread. Here's something I learned that if you want sourdough to stay, sourdough bread to stay fresh, you put it in the freezer. Then when you take it out of the freezer, you put it underwater, like right under the tap, freshen it up. You, you get it hydrated again, then put it in the oven. And it comes out like brand new. I had no idea. And now Nate Brown of Minnesota, coach Nate Brown of Minnesota, he loves the cooking tips. He's going to, he's, now he's got a new cooking tip about sourdough bread. It's amazing. Sourdough bread. That's like a passion of mine now. Yeah, like, they have a certain technique to get the stretch and fold, you got to let it yeah, proof. I used to say rise. It's not rise. It proofs. Okay? You get okay. the, the big thing is your sourdough starter. You have to have it fermented properly. It has to rise up. It's all about the timing of your, sour, your sourdough starter. Too, okay? Well, listen, there it is. Full Change Cooking with Tom Laidlaw. Enjoy us. We'll see you next week. Yes. See you, buddy. All right, grasshoppers. Thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time.